We want to see where God is working and join Him in that work. What is the heart of God? What are the things that He says that are important? What are the things that the Creator of the universe says that we need to do in our lives? The heart that Jesus had is the heart that I want to have as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a friend, as a community member. I want to have the heart that Jesus has. Let's read verses 36 through 38 of Matthew chapter 9, and we'll see this heart of Jesus. When he, that is Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As we look around our community, even as we look around this room, within this room, there are people, you can probably describe yourself as, it says on the screen, harassed and helpless. You may think to yourself, yes, I'm definitely harassed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling helpless. And you may put yourself in one of those categories. How is it that Jesus sees you and what is the response to that? During this particular period of time when Jesus is writing this, it's during a time when thousands of people are following him and Jesus is very popular. He's performing miracles. He's preaching and people are hearing his message and going, we want to follow him because he's, in a sense, they didn't fully understand who he was and what he was there for. They were there for the show. And Jesus looks across these people and he doesn't see them for just the crowd. He saw them as individuals. And I think it's fair to say that Jesus didn't see the crowd of everyone's helpless. He saw their individual stories. And every single one of you have a unique and individual story. And he saw them as, I see that person needing a savior. I know where you are. And you put your own self in your own circumstances, in the finances, in the relationships, in the emotions, in the education, health, and all the different things of your life that can be ups and downs. God knows who you are as an individual. And he says, I want people to go and to tell you about the good news. That send forth laborers into the harvest, as it says there, is referring to sending out people to share the good news about Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is often called the gospel, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is not a show that we do on Sundays. It is not an eloquent message. It is not as music. It is the message that there is a Jesus who loves you and has died on the cross for your sins. Through this month, let me challenge you. Set your alarm. And at 9.38 a.m. and or p.m., spend some time in prayer. But pray and begin in your own heart. You see, when you make it personal, it changes our perspective on everything. You realize, world population clock. Yesterday at around 11 a.m. or so, there were 7,893,886,174. And I just had to stop it because it kept going up. I forget it. I'll just put down a number. 
because they just kept going up and up and up. And you realize, you look at that number, to be honest with you, that number is a huge number that I really can't fully comprehend. But then you start personalizing and putting your individual people that you know. Without you, it wouldn't be 147. And every single one of those numbers is an individual life, a soul that God loves. On the other side of that is that you look and you do, if you Google the, the world population clock, you will see it just constantly moving forward and jumping forward all the time. Every single moment of the day, there are people being born. You imagine being God. I mean, this is just, okay, this is just my sense of humor right here. God knows and sees everything. So in his back of his mind, there's constantly women screaming, giving birth. Because I hear everything. <laughs> Poor God. You realize that every day, estimated 163,898 people die every single day. If you break that down into hours and minutes and seconds, 1.9 people a second die. Two people just go. Two people just gone. Two people just gone. And when you begin to personalize the world, we begin to ask this question. This is the question of the entire day. I did a whole introduction for this one phrase here. Is it worth it? That's the question of the day. Is it worth it to see where God is working and join Him in that work? This morning we're going to count the cost of following Jesus. I'm going to use a passage from Matthew chapter number 8. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you, open them and follow along with me. In Matthew chapter number 8, we're going to see Jesus challenge them, is it worth it? In the first service, my wife surprised me by coming in. She often teaches kids' church, and then she does the music for kids' church, and then she comes in, and she came and sat on the front row. And as you hear this next illustration, you'll realize why I got nervous all of a sudden. Because my wife, when she goes shopping, much like myself, we're not cheap, we're just frugal. She would buy herself new clothes, and I'm actually pretty good at noticing when she buys new stuff. And she'll buy the new thing, I'll go, oh, is that a new dress or a new sh- whatever jumper or whatever else? And if you notice, if you say it every day, eventually you'll be right. But uh, it was that new, and she goes, oh, and the first thing she says is, I got this on sale. And that's not actually from me, because I say, and granted, I said this in front of her, so it's absolutely true. I go, oh, look at you. It wouldn't matter if you pay twice as much. It's beautiful. You know, I try to encourage her and build her up. But on the inside, I'm saying, good girl. Retail is for suckers. Make sure you get that on sale. Make sure you paid half off. Clearance rack is the place to be. Because we, when we evaluate life, when you look around and you walk around the shops and you see things, we are always evaluating, is it worth it? Is this worth it? You see something for sale, you're going to evaluate, hmm, should I buy this or should I not buy this? Is it worth the price that they're asking for or is it worth far less? That question, is it worth it, is counting the cost. And in regards to our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we must count the cost. Our principle for today is this. Following Jesus is worth my whole life. I want you to process that for just a moment. Every Sunday we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. Is following Jesus worth my whole life? 
you could probably really impress people and everyone here would go, that person is a real spiritual giant because we have given a quarter of our life. 25% of my life is for God. And in the outward appearance, people will look at that and go, that's so impressive. Good job. Well done. But when we evaluate what God has called us to do in our life, is following Jesus worth my whole life? Is it worth half my life, a quarter of my life? I propose to you that following Jesus is worth your whole life. Matthew chapter number 8. This period of time, give you a little bit of background. It's early on in Jesus' ministry. In the earlier chapters of Matthew, records his birth, and, and, and then we see him calling his disciples in chapter number 4, chapters 5, 6, and 7. We see the, what's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, which is a tremendous sermon given by Jesus. You read chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the book of Matthew and apply it to your life. It will change your life. At the end of that chapter 7, they, they respond by saying, no one's ever talked to us like that. He's talked to us like a, with authority, not like our, our normal religious leaders. They just talk to us you know, guessing and hoping. He's speaking with authority. And then he goes into chapter number 8, and Jesus begins to heal people, begins to preach, and thousands of people begin to follow him. And Jesus is approached by two young men who are followers of him. And these young followers are seeking out and saying, am I going to follow Jesus? Now, at this particular time, it's probably pretty popular to follow Jesus. There's an entourage of people following because he's performing miracles and he's, and he's preaching and he's popular at this time. It says in verse number 19, and a scribe came up and said to him, a scribe is one of the religious leaders. They would have known their scriptures very, very well. The primary role of a scribe is to write out the Hebrew scriptures. So they would have known the law. And humanly speaking, it's pretty impressive. You would want a scribe on your team if you were bringing together your followers. A scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. These two men are given a choice. Jesus says to them, follow me. Now they have a choice. Is following Jesus worth my whole life? I want you to evaluate and think in your life, what is the worst thing that could happen if I follow Jesus? If I put him first in my life, what is the best thing that could happen if I follow Jesus? First of all, our first point this morning is consider the call. Verse number 22, there Jesus says, follow me. He doesn't tell them, get out of here, go away, I'm not ready for you yet. He looks at these men and he invites them to follow him. But the scripture never records what they do and what their response is. Never records them by name. So we actually don't know what happens to these two men. But what we do know is we get to begin to consider the heart of God. And the heart of Jesus particularly. 
He's looking at people, and he cares for them, and he loves them, and he's inviting people to say, follow me. Thirteen times in the Gospels, it's recorded that Jesus uses the phrase, follow me. It becomes a theme. And the beautiful thing we find with follow is following takes all the pressure off of us to perform. When we follow, I don't have to know the directions. I'm simply following Jesus. In a similar way with a GPS. A GPS is a wonderful invention. And when you follow the GPS, you put in, and if you put in the correct address, you will, supposed to, arrive at the correct destination. It will tell you, turn left now. And so you turn left. Then it will tell you to turn right. And then it will go left and go right. And then you arrive at your destination. Have you found, and maybe you've even used this phrase, I have no idea how I got here. I just followed the GPS. Following a GPS is not a great way to learn the community because all you're doing is following the the directions. But when it comes to following God, following Him takes all the pressure off of you and I to perform. Thank God that we don't have to come up with all the answers. Thank God that we don't have to have enough. We simply follow Him. There's so many different things that are vying for our attention. I know when I walk into Woolworths, particularly the Dale-up Woolworths here, that the milk, because that's generally what I go to buy, is if I walk in the shop, I walk one aisle over straight to the back, and then one aisle over more straight to the front, and although I use the QR code to scan in, I'm, re- I'm in there so fast, I probably don't even need to. I'm like in and out because I know exactly what I need and I know exactly how to get there. But there's other places in town, like Bunnings, that you walk into. The reason why I, I wrote this illustration down is because I did this last week. I walked into Bunnings with one particular item in mind. I walked through Bunnings, because you never know what you're going to see. I walked through Bunnings, leaving with multiple items that were not on my list, and I didn't even go down the aisle that was the one thing that I was there for. And I left with things that I did not intend to buy, not buying the one thing that I did intend to buy, which, of course, now I had to go back. And I even told myself, focus. Get that one thing first and then go walking. There's so many different things in our life that are possible distractions. As you go through life, there's always different things that are vying for our attention. When Jesus says to us, follow me, you are going to have a choice. What will you choose when you feel the still small voice of the Holy Spirit calling and prompting you to do something or to not do something? You have a choice. How will you respond when you feel God calling in your life? Will you respond with, yes, I will follow you, or maybe later, or I have too many things on my list? Because if anything like me, you get a request, and people even this morning, uh, several people this morning said, can I meet with you this week? And I said, write me later, because then I'll have my calendar in front of you. When you have an opportunity, what do you think? Hmm, I can fit you in next Tuesday between 3 and 4 o'clock. And we we always think about sometime in the future, I can schedule this. 
But when God calls us to follow him, we have a choice. Am I going to obey or am I going to delay and disobey? And that's the choice that we all face. It doesn't matter what level of spiritual life you're in, whether you are a brand new Christian or you are just experiencing this for the very first time and you're looking at things and you're saying, and God's prompting you to do something, you can say, well, tomorrow I'll make that decision tomorrow to follow Jesus. Or you can have a faith for decades long and God still gives you the choice whether or not you're going to obey or delay. When we is calling his disciples... Jesus called his disciples, and we see a wonderful principle in Matthew chapter number 4 of how they responded. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. There's two things that we see there. First of all, there's a beautiful phrase there. I will make you fishers of men. You know how much pressure that takes off of you and I to perform, to have all the right answers? When you feel God's prompting in your life to do something, whether it's financial or talk to someone or, or, or go a particular area of life, and you, you have this opportunity, we instantly become very, very humble. We list off, I can't do that, God. I don't have enough. I'm not smart enough. And we have this long list of various things that we say we cannot do. But he says there, I will make you fishers of men. He's the one that we are relying upon. He's the one, and when we follow him, he's the one that's going to perform. He's the one that's going to provide enough finances. He provide enough, uh, enough knowledge at the time. He's going to be the one that provides in the loving relationships. He's going to be the one we simply follow him. The second part that we learn there is a wonderful example. We see in the next verse, it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. They left everything that was seemingly normal in their lives. The particular men that were the disciples, they were fishermen. And in history of Israel, if you were a fisherman, your father would have been a fisherman. And your grandfather would have been a fisherman. The question of what are you going to do when you grow up was not a question of the ancient Israel times, or really any of the ancient civilizations. It was, your father is this, Therefore, this is what you're going to be. And you hope that your father was something good because otherwise you're going to be stuck with it for the rest of your life and your children after you. These men heard the call of Jesus. He simply says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left the nets. They immediately left everything that they knew. They left their families they left their livelihood, so that their financial security. They left their friend network. They left everything about themselves as their own personal identity of my job and my community, and they chose to follow him. That was really living out the very word Christ-like, which is the word we use for Christian to be like Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
Thank God that we have a shepherd that is Jesus, that when he does the calling in your life, whatever that calling is, and this month we're talking about missions, so we're thinking outwardly, and we're thinking world missions, and we're thinking financially in regards to our own obligation, in regards to giving. We're thinking prayerfully in regards to our family, and we pray for our families. We're thinking these things, but it's whatever it is that God's working in your life, in whatever area, it's simply following Him. Thank God that we don't have to do that in our own strength, in our own ability. You see, Jesus continues on and challenges and encourages his disciples. In John chapter 20, verse 21, it says, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Thank God that we don't have to do this life in our own strength and our own ability. You are not strong enough in and of yourself. When you have the feeling of, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I don't have enough education, I don't have enough. Actually, biblically speaking, you don't. But thank God he comes along inside you and says, with me, you are enough. I can give you what you need. I can give you the words to say. I have found this personally true often. I'll sit with people in a meeting and I'll be talking with someone and as they're sharing things in their life, I'm thinking to myself and praying to God, God, I don't know what to say right now. God, please give me the words to say. And outwardly, I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes, mm mm-hmm. Inwardly, I'm like, I don't know what to say right now. God, you're going to have to give me some words to say. And every single time, and it's not just because you talk, because you can talk a lot and say nothing. It's God brings scriptures to my mind. And oftentimes I will say, oh, where did that verse come from? How did I remember that one? It's just seemingly so random. And I know it's the Holy Spirit. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to teach us and help us to apply the truth. And God brings verses to mind at exactly the right time. And I look back upon that and I don't leave going, boy, I'm good. I leave going, God, that's amazing. Thank you so much for giving me the right words to say, to be an encouragement. And some, maybe you're talking to a friend about their relationship with God and, talk, and sharing your faith. And you're saying, I'm scared. I don't have the right words. That's when we rely upon the Holy Spirit. We have to personalize this, though. When we consider the call of follow me, there's two things. First of all, we see a universal call. This universal call is for all people for salvation. God loves people. This universal call, we see the verse John 3, 16. When I was in Bible college, I left Australia, went to the U.S., got an accent and a wife and an education. Sitting in the very first class on the first day, the notebook is all empty, and there was a class that every single student of the Bible college had to take. It was about missions. And the real thought behind the missions is seeing the world and the nations the way that God sees people. It was loving people. You're not a means to my end. I want to see you the way that God sees you. I don't want to give you value based upon my impression of you. God gives you value. So therefore, I'm going to give you value. And the class, the very first day, the very first class of, the, of the, my Bible college career, the professor came up and he was a former missionary in, in South America. And he shared a very simple truth. 
the God of the Bible is a missionary God. He then went through the rest of the semester sharing throughout the Bible how we see the heart of God for the nations. Absolutely for the nation of Israel, but also for the rest of the nations. How the, the love and the kindness of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice on the cross that he made. And that transformed my life. So therefore, when we read verses like, like uh, John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's a well-known Bible verse. Verse number 17 is less known, but equally powerful. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let me encourage you, read Psalm 67. It's a psalm written about the the, the imperative nature of of the gospel for all the nations, not just the small few. You see, Jesus teaches that in heaven... When a person was lost, is found, there's actually rejoicing in heaven. In Luke chapter number 15, it says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In a moment, we're going to see a video. And in this video, in just a moment, we're going to see a three-year-old little boy who was lost for three days in the New South Wales bush. You may have seen it on the news. It was just a couple of weeks ago. A.J. Elphalak. And A.J. was a nonverbal autistic boy. To be honest with you, when I saw the news report of him being found, I got a little lump in my throat because cynically, When I heard that he'd been lost for a few days, that morning I thought, oh, that poor boy, that poor family, he's he's, he's been killed. Imagine what that family's going through. I want you to watch this video and, and relate that to what heaven must look like when a lost person has been found by God. Can you imagine the joy of receiving that call over the radio? Your lost son has been found. The celebration as a result. That's exactly what takes place in heaven with the angels when a person places their trust upon Jesus Christ as Savior. There's a celebration in heaven that takes place. We have a universal call to salvation, but we also have a specific call. You as an individual have a specific call call of God on your life. Every single one of you is unique. You've been given unique opportunities, unique skills. There's people that you know that I don't know. These these skills are sometimes seen in your life as inabilities, but God can redeem your seemingly inability for his glory and use that as for your greatest ability. And when we think about your specific call, your uniqueness, in John chapter number 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus Christ is working in your life and sending you for a purpose forward. If we look at our children... As cute as they are as they grow up, you think about the potential of your children. The impact of of a life lived for God can make. We also see in here that Jesus never promises that our life is going to be an easy life. 
that the Christian life is going to be one without problems. Nearing the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, Jesus is sharing with his disciples in John chapter number 16. And when John 16, he's talking to his disciples and giving them a reality check that life is not going to be easy. And it says in verse number 33, I said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Notice it doesn't say you might have or you could have. It states a fact. You are going to have hard times here on this earth. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Then the very next chapter, chapter 17. Jesus is praying before God. In chapter 17, the entire chapter is a prayer of Jesus before God, preparing himself to be arrested and ultimately crucified on the cross for for the sins of the world. And Jesus prays a prayer in verse number four. That's something that I want to relate to my life personally. And maybe you do too. He talks to God and says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Our ultimate goal in life is to glorify God. That's exactly why we are created. Your purpose in life, no matter what the specific details are, is ultimately to glorify God. And Jesus says, I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That's the prayer that I want to pray. I don't want to pray and say, God, I accomplished some of the things that you wanted me to do. I want to say, I'll accomplish the the goals and the plans and the purposes. I spoke to the people you wanted me to speak to. I gave what you wanted me to give. I took the opportunities that you wanted me to take, as scary as they are. In your bulletin, you would have received one of these cards, uh, Faith Promise Commitment Cards. These Faith Promise Commitment Cards, there's nowhere on there for your name. It's simply between you and God. But it's an opportunity to help us for our budgeting for this next year with our missions. Every bit of missions, 100% of it that comes in, goes out to missions. This is simply a way to make a tangible commitment and say, I'm going to write it down. But the other side of it is, you take part of the card and you put it in the offering bag. That just helps us budget. That way we know how much we're able to, by faith, give. But it all comes from individual people simply saying, God, what part do you want me to have? We have a specific call. Going back to the very beginning, we don't just have to consider the call. We also must count the cost. Count the cost. This is the question of the day. And I want you to mull this over and, and count the cost. That's our second point. Is following Jesus worth more than your... I want you to fill the blank in. Is following Jesus worth more than... Passage that we read earlier in John chapter number 8, Jesus is talking to two young men who seemingly wanted to follow Jesus, but they wanted to do it in their own strength and their own timing. And Jesus gives them a reality check. Verse 22 says that Jesus says, follow me. He wanted them to follow him, but he gave them a reality check. And I want to give you a reality check today as you mull things over in your mind. First of all, is following Jesus worth more than your comfort? In Matthew chapter number 8, Jesus addresses and says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's saying there is, 
Is following me worth more than your natural comfort? Is it worth more than your physical comfort? Is it worth more than your financial comfort? Is it more than your emotional comfort? And more than your relational comfort? Is following me worth more than all these other things? And he gives them the reality check. He says, I don't even have a place to sleep at night. And you want to follow me? I'm going to give you a reality check. It's not all easy living following Christ, but is it worth it? We also see, is following Jesus worth more than your priority? We all have many priorities of life. And I want you to think about overall, is following Jesus worth more than? Jesus addresses this man, and the other disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. He gives him this priority. Put first things first in your life. I want you to mold this over in your own response, in your own people around in your own life. Are you putting first things first? First of all, the priority of time. This young man comes to Jesus and says, I want to follow you in my own timing. He says, let me first go. Let me follow you when it's convenient to me. We all have this struggle. We have an opportunity. We go, well, I'll, I'll do that later. We'll do this in, a, in the future. The opportunity is now. How many times have we missed opportunities? We go, I wish I would have taken that opportunity. We have an opportunity to be a blessing to somebody. And we, we say, I'll just delay a little bit longer. I'll do that tomorrow. And the opportunity is gone and missed. We have the priority of time. We also have the priority of family. The way this passage reads is this man's father had not recently passed away and they're just waiting on the funeral. This man is saying, I'm going to put my family first before I follow and put you first, Jesus. Then when everything's helpful and everything's handled, he had a responsibility at home, then he will follow Jesus. We all have that temptation. It's very honorable to be a provider. It's very honorable to take care of our children. I'm not in, in any way encouraging you to make your children starve. But the kindest thing we can possibly do for our families is put Christ first. Is following Jesus worth more than my family? And then finally we see it is worth more than my plan. It's worth more than the plan. Jesus had a plan for these men in their life. He invites them to follow him. I have a plan, and then God has a plan. And it's beautiful when they align up together. Some of you are teaching your older teenagers how to drive, and you've heard the wonderful sound of crunching gears. When two gears work together smoothly, they can move incredible amounts of weight. But as you crunch the gears and you're learning how to drive, it's a horrible sound to hear those, those gears misalign. When we are misaligned with the plan of God in our life, it's impossible for us to move forward. But when we are in perfect sync with Him, He can accomplish great things in us and through us. I want you to consider your response today. 
As we come to a conclusion, I'm going to read some scripture, I'm going to make a couple statements, and then we'll be concluding today. And as we think through what God is doing in your life, we've been challenging you through the course of this month to simply ask God, God, what part do you want me to have in world missions? As you've been praying and asking God to send out laborers into the harvest, my prayer isn't to send your children. My prayer is, God, will you work in my own family's life first? It would be my greatest honor to see one of my children serving in ministry. I'm not talking about just full-time pastoral type or missionary work. I'm just saying being putting God first, whatever aspect that is. God is equally pleased with your work, whatever it is, as long as He's the one doing the calling. In Matthew chapter number 16, verses 24 through 26, Jesus challenges this. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone, any would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's that phrase again. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? It's a statement that I came across this week that was quite powerful. It's about sacrifice. You only love what you are willing to sacrifice for. You only love what you're willing to sacrifice for. I started earlier on the message and I made this statement. What's the worst thing that could happen if you follow Jesus? What is the best thing that could happen if you follow Jesus? My challenge to you is that you will just let God speak to you. And as God molds and shapes you, that you'll be obedient to respond quickly to follow Him.